Anyway, we're going to turn our attention to the Word now in Deuteronomy chapter 5. We're looking at one verse there, but some other verses as well. We're continuing our study of the Ten Commandments, Ten Commandments and the Gospel. And we're looking at the relationship, we've talked about the relationship of gospel and law of grace and law. The fact that grace doesn't mean anything unless we have a standard, unless we have law. Gracious, being gracious is sweet, but, but, but there, there needs a re, we need a reason to be gracious, and that's the standard, that's the law. And we've broken the law, but God is gracious to us. And grace is not simply to get us off the hook, but to turn us into something, people who embody the law, who do the things of the law naturally, to be righteous people. And today we're looking at the fifth commandment. Uh, now we read it before, but let me just make sure you all know what we're going to be talking about. You all know what the fifth commandment is about? Yeah? Father and mother. Honor father and mother. Okay, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. It's just one verse. And i got to tell you, as I was writing this sermon, uh, preparing for it for the past couple of weeks, writing it in earnest this past week, I was torn between two instincts. One was to be pastoral because family experiences can be wonderful, but they can be hard. And talking about those hard experiences and coming alongside about how the grace of God can, can bring healing and reparation. Uh, but also talking about the fact that the family, we live in an age that's hostile to the family, doesn't fully understand the family. And I, I, part of me wanted to write a scholarly treatise defending the family. Um, and realizing that I just don't have time to do either one of those full justice. And, and that's sort of my fear this morning that I would be both, both shallow and insensitive. Uh, but here we are. I know that many of you have had hard experiences in your families. I know many of you personally, I know your stories. And, I, and, and as you come in this morning, I, I can think of those stories and I know that you bear scars, not on your face, not on your outward body, but on your souls because of the experiences in your family. So when you hear this command, honor father and mother, it can be bitterly hard for some of you. And I just want you to know that I'm not unaware. I'm not unaware of that. But as I said, here we are, nonetheless, in God's providence with this command. So let's start this morning by believing that even if it's we're in a hard family circumstance. The Lord has something good for us in it. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16. Honor your father and mother as the Lord your God commanded you that your days may be long and it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you again. We give you thanks that you have already been with us as we sang praises to you, as we uh, acknowledged new people becoming associated with our church. We thank you for that. And we pray that your spirit would continue to be present with us as we look at your word, as we look at this command to honor father and mother, confessing, Lord, that um, we struggle. We struggle with it. We struggle to be honorable fathers and mothers. We struggle to be children who honor parents. And so we pray, Lord, that by your Spirit you would open our minds, open our hearts to this message so that we would leave this place more like Jesus than when we came. 
And we ask it in his powerful name. Amen. Honor father and mother. Mm. Um, growing up, uh, I, uh, I found that hard. I, I, uh, from my perspective, my dad was a man governed by his fears. He was, uh, he was afraid of children being hurt with too much horseplay. You know, we were just about, about getting have some good fun, and Dad would be there. It's like, no, 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 you're going to get hurt. You're going to get hurt. Can't do that. He was afraid of being used by other people. He was afraid of being taken advantage of financially by other folks. Uh, many of you know I, I have a love for the arts, for painting and sculpture, and you think, uh, it would be a, a, a wonderful thing to grow up outside of New York City, where, where I grew up, uh, the art capital of the world. No, can't go into Manhattan. That's a dangerous place. Can't do that. As a baseball fan, you think that, again, growing up in the New York metro area would be an awesome thing. You know, you have the Mets, you have the Phillies, and I know some of you are Yankees fans. Uh, that would be fantastic to grow up in a place like that. No. No, uh, it's too stressful to drive into stadium parking and all the people. We can't do that. Again, the New York metro area was and is a diverse place, ethnically rich place. And you could have friends who were black and Asian and Indian and Latino. My father was like, you know, you got to be careful about, about people who are different than you. They may be taking advantage of you. In many ways, my dad, as I said, was trapped by his fears, and I felt trapped by his fears, too. Couldn't do that. Couldn't do this. My dad's fears governed my life, and I resented it. Kept me from living and kept me from living the life I wanted to live. And then I would get petty in my own mind about the things that my dad did. Get frustrated with this particular desire or concern or worry. And I, you know, and as only a child, can I even complain about the name that he gave me? He gave me my name. Who names their child Daryl? What kind of name is that? Who I don't know anybody named Daryl, except for the actress. That's a girl. <laughs> and then Mady. Uh, the family name, no one ever says it right. Maddie, Maddie, Maddie. I'll answer to that, whatever. No, you know, not everyone has a negative relationship with his or her parents, but all of us have negative experiences. Would you agree? And often these experiences are the easiest thing to recall when we're thinking of our parents, the hurts, the disappointments, uh, the betrayals. And some of those things are quite horrible. They're, they're horrific. And we begin to think of family as a place of stress, a place of conflict, maybe even a place of abuse. But that is not the way it's supposed to be. It's not the way God designed it. Family was given as a blessing, and a blessing not just for a simple enjoyment, but with a purpose. And we'll talk more about that purpose later. So this morning, as we look at this command of honoring father and mother, we're going to have to see our way past how things have gone wrong in our own families, with our parents and maybe with our own children. We have to look past those things to see the way it's supposed to be. 
to see how something as broken as your family, something as broken as my family, still can be something quite wonderful. And by God's grace, maybe even something better than what it is right now. Here's the idea for this morning. God has given us family as a blessing for flourishing, for redemption. And so we should honor that grace by respecting the family ties, by, by respecting familial ties. And respecting those ties begins with respecting the family as an institution. It's a little more abstract. We'll get, we'll get more personal a little bit later. But we need to respect the family as an institution. Now, some people try to downplay the family, and they simply say, well, family are people we, we are connected to by chance. But family is so much more than people we're connected to by chance, whether we're adopted or we're biological children. We bear the marks of our family of origin, and those, ba- those bonds are profound, Even in the misuse, they shape us in ways we can barely begin to understand. And the bonds of family are so foundational that the Ten Commandments just assumes them. You know, notice there's a lot of of commandments, but one of them is not, and you should have a family. It just assumes that you are going to have a family. There's going to be fathers and mothers. And one reason family may be assumed is because God knows that family is woven into our very being. Why is that? Because he is family. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we're made in his image. We should expect for us to be wired for that kind of communal living, to be in relationship, to be in family relationship with each other. And God has an order within his own family. He has an order for our family. And he teaches us about himself through our families. We call God Father, not because he is like a father. He is the Father. I'm a father because I'm like him. I'm the metaphor, not the other way around. And there's this connection between parental authority and divine authority. Scripture calls on us to fear or revere the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Well, in Leviticus 19, it says, do the same with your parents. When we blaspheme God, it says that we are worthy of being stoned. That's in Leviticus 29. And then many other places it says that if we curse our parents, we're worthy of the same fate. Why is that? It's because our parents figure God for us. And when we malign our parents, we not only malign the image of God in another person, we malign the authority of God. Now you might be saying, But what if my parents deserve to be cursed? And it's true that some parents treat their children horrifically. I think of the news stories from not that long ago of a family in California. I believe their name were the the Turpins. Uh, They had 13 children, and they kept their children shackled to furniture, and they were malnourished. It's a horrific case. Sometimes parents are awful. But it doesn't have to be that extreme for us to be putting strain on our family ties. For us as parents to be putting strain on our families. Maybe it's a prolonged absence from home, demanding expectations, uh, poor relational boundaries where we're getting into the lives of our teenage kids in ways that are really emotionally kind of damaging to them. Or on the the opposite end of of the spectrum, we're so emotionally distant, our kids 
wonder if we have any affection for them at all. And when we, when we experience those things from our parents, we tend to nurse those hurts. And we think to ourselves, some parents aren't worthy of respect. Some parents aren't worthy of honor. And uh, you would be right. But the Lord doesn't qualify the command. He doesn't say, honor your parents if they're worthy of it. He doesn't say, honor your parents except in these circumstances. And I know that's hard. But I want to say two things about, how, about these difficult circumstances. First, by sh- the sheer fact that these people gave you life or took you in, into their home, raised you, God calls on you to honor that and to honor them. Not to enable them, not to cover for them. So if they're abusive or even if they're involved with criminal activity, uh, that should be challenged and brought to account. But even then, the Lord says, honor. Honor them. We'll talk more about what that means later. And second, in any relationship, but especially true in family relationships, we need to be careful about grudges, about nursing resentment towards others. After we get ourselves distanced from that behavior, we have to see our way to forgiveness. Why is that? Well, the Lord calls us to it, number one. But here's the thing. Our resentments do inflict pain. But typically, the most pain they inflict is on ourselves. As we become trapped by our resentments and our anger, maybe even our hatred. Anne Lamott, in her book, Traveling Mercies, wrote this. Not forgiving is like drinking rat poison and then waiting for the rat to die. Our resentments only kill us. The Lord calls us to forgiveness, even forgiveness of our parents, who maybe have harmed us profoundly. We put strain on our families. But society puts strain on our families as well as they disrespect the institution, the nature of family. And I'm not just talking about secular institutions. Even Christian ministries, Christian uh, institutions, Christian churches sometimes put strain on families by not respecting the nature uh, of it. Now, schools and Christian ministries can be wonderful aids as we're raised, trying to raise responsible and mature children, but they can overstep their bounds and become intrusive. And, and uh, you know, think of it this way. How many of you have been in a circumstance, whether it's in your neighborhood or at a school or maybe even a church where someone says, you know, I know better than you how to raise your kids? They don't say quite like that, but that's essentially what they're saying. Or worse yet, they go to our children and they say, I know better than your parents what you need. How does that make you feel when that happens? Make you feel good? Makes me angry. I find it intrusive and disrespectful. I remember a time not long after our oldest, Eli, was born, and there was a popular uh, child-rearing methodology that came out of the book Baby Wise. Is anybody familiar with the book Baby Wise? Okay. I guess it was more popular, you know, about 15, 20 years ago. 
Uh, and, I'm, and I'm not saying anything about Ezo, okay, or baby-wise. Called, people called it Ezo because that was the, the, na- the author's name was Ezo. Well, Mary was dropping Eli off at, a nur- at the nursery and going through that transition period, you know, that, that parents go with their kids. So she's there with them. And, and, and a lay leader came over and asked, so are you using Ezo? And my wife responded, well, you know, no, we're not using Ezo. And here was the reply. Oh, well, you'll get it right next time. <laughs> you know, the lack of respect in that answer for, the, for our family was profound. And when we talk about respecting family, we're not simply ta- we're talking about the institution, but we're talking about specifics as well. So respect families. So respect this family, and this family, and that family, and respect that family. And it may be that you don't get why they do the things they do. You don't understand how they manage their, their kids. Maybe you even say, well, what, the way they do things, that's not for us. That's fine. But respect the family. There, there are so many choices that we as parents have to make, myriad choices, uh, attachment parenting, detachment parenting, public school, private school, homeschool, the way we do chores, uh, discipline. Should, should children say sir and ma'am? You know, I, I have a child who, who says sir and ma'am in their school, and their teacher didn't like it. Don't ever call me that. And so, you know, we as families just feel assaulted left and right for the way we're doing things. So many choices we have to make, maybe because of our own experiences, maybe because of our family histories, maybe because of our cultural backgrounds. Respect it. Respect it in others. Just because someone chooses differently than you doesn't make them wrong, and it doesn't even threaten your dis- the, the, the wisdom of your decision. So you don't have to be defensive when people do things differently than you do. Respect the family in the abstract, but also in the specific. And respecting family continues with the core of that command, honoring parents. Now, we need to distinguish here uh, on how we honor parents Because when you're a child, it's one thing, and when you're an adult, it's another. When you're a child, and how to define when you're a child is maybe a little bit difficult. At least the movement into adulthood is a little bit difficult. We'll just say, for the sake of argument, when you pay your own bills, you're an adult. (laughs) So if you're a child, honoring your parents means obeying them. If they say it's time for bed, then you should go to bed. If they say don't play with that toy, you shouldn't play with that toy. If they say be kind to your brother, you should be kind to your brother. And children, if you're listening, hopefully you are, how many times should your parents have to say, express to you what they want before you do it? Any guesses? Parents know the answer. Once. Once. Because a delayed obedience is a kind of disobedience. It's a kind of dishonoring. Now, some teenagers or 
college students in the room might be saying, well, what if my parents are misusing their authority? Well, if you're a teenager or younger, I say this lovingly, I say this respectfully, you might not be in the best position to know if your parents are misusing their authority. But let's just say you're certain they are. It's wrong what they're saying. Obey anyway. Obey anyway. Unless they're asking you to do something that God clearly forbids. So if they ask you to kill somebody, don't do that. I would call on you as well, not simply to obey outwardly, but to try and honor from the heart. Because even in our disobedience, we can dishonor our parents. You know, when I was a senior in high school, I was a pretty independent kid. And my, my parent, parents encouraged me to be so, take long bike rides. I would go out to a kind of a retention pond and do a lot of thinking out there. I was a contemplative type even then. And I'd be gone for hours. And it was a different age but, you know, you could, do, you could get away with that, uh, you know, 30 years ago. Um, uh, I had a girlfriend who lived out of town. I would drive down there and visit with her. I'd be gone all day, come back later. But I, I, I did thing, things to help around the house. I was a handy person, still pretty handy. My dad was a handy guy. And one day he asked me to help install uh, a wooden door, uh, an outer door on the side of our house. We, we arranged the time. But of course, you know, I, that day I was, I was traveling to go see my girlfriend. I was out of town. And uh, like, like you would expect would happen with a teenager, do, do you think I made it back on time? No, I did not. I was late for dinner and I was late to help with my father. When I came into the house, I could, I could feel, you know, I could feel the frustration and, and irritation coming off of my dad. He's a Southeast, Southeast European immigrant family type. I'll talk about that a little, little, little bit. So you can just feel it. You know, he's angry. And, and so I was like, okay, I help him quick. So I grabbed the dinner. It was fried chicken, stuffed it down my mouth and went over. And I put my hands on that unstained door. You see the problem, don't you? My dad, who was barely keeping it together, he was so mad at me. When, I, when he saw the grease stain on the unstained door, he just popped his cork. And he lit into me as only Southeast Europeans can. You know, raising voices, hands going all over the place. And uh, I just stood there and took it. I didn't wear glasses back then. I had contacts. So I just stood there and I took it. And I took it and I took it until I felt like this had gone on too long. And so as he was scolding me, I simply narrowed my eyes at him. And I basically said to him, and he understood the message, I'm going to take this, but don't think for one second it's because I respect you. I am my own authority. And so it was the most fundamental act of disobedience you can imagine. I think it was the most disrespectful thing I ever consciously did with my father, and he read it exactly for what it was. You're not the boss of me. To truly honor parents, it's got to come from the heart as well, not just an outward obedience. And when we become adults, the command doesn't cease to be in force. It just changes expression. Honoring no longer means obey. Uh, 
to obey your parents when you're in adulthood, when you're responsible for other things and you're listening to their instruction, how you're supposed to handle your affairs as if they can command you to do so, in some ways keeps you a child. In a sense, it's a violation of your person. And also, if you don't navigate that well, it's going to be a curse in your marriage. Holy cow. Your spouse will not love the fact that you still obey your parents. To honor parents when we're adults means to seek their advice, to honor their life experience, their intimate understanding of us as people because they probably know us better than almost anybody. To care for them as their bodies fail, even after their death, to honor their memories. We've got to take responsibility for uh, our, our own choices and, and, uh, and our own decisions, but we need to keep honoring them. If we want our children to honor us, it makes sense that they should see us honor them. And if we want our children to have the easiest time in honoring us, we should also seek to be honorable. And that begins by using your parental authority in the way that God intended it for the purpose that God intended it. Do you remember what that was? God says, obey your father and mother. Why? Anybody remember? That it may go well for you in the land. God, the context of this is God is leading his people into the promised land, and he has a vision not just for them, but for their children and for the children to come after them, for generations to come. And he wants these parents to pass on the wisdom that they have gathered in their life, both just sort of life lessons, but also spiritual lessons, to pass that on to their children that they might prosper. That's why you're given authority, so that your children can prosper. Is that how you use your authority? Here's a quick gut check, and we're all going to fail this. Just let, letting you know. It's not like, oh, what's the gut check? Maybe I'm going to do okay. You're, no, you failed. I know it. I failed. You failed. You go to your child, your son, your daughter. You say, I want you to do this. Do this, whatever this is. And your child re- responds back, why? How, how do many of us respond? Because I say so. Because I say so. Um, there are moments when our children need to respond very quickly to our commands. They're, they're in danger of being hurt. There's a car coming. They're about to touch something hot. They're, they're on the edge of a stage, you know, and we're, we, come back here, come, come this way. And you just need them to respond. Uh, but most of life isn't lived under that kind of urgency, okay? So imagine God in the same circumstance, and God says to us, honor father and mother, and we say, why? And God says, because I say so. Is that what he said? No. So it will go well for you. Now, who has more right than God to say, because I say so? But he doesn't do that. At least not at the outset. God wants his children to prosper. He wants them to prosper materially. He wants them to prosper spiritually. Let's talk about 
material prosperity. And, 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 and when God wants us to prosper materially, he's not really using the definition that we often use in America, by prosperity. By prosperity, he means having food and clothing and shelter, all the essentials for life. He doesn't want our foolishness to lead into poverty, to leave us destitute. So he gives us parents to train out the foolishness in us, the childishness in us, so that things can go well. And if, and if we as parents don't love our children well, we don't care for them, we, we don't lovingly challenge them, but also give them a secure environment to face those challenges, if we don't uh, encourage them to take risks, but also have the wisdom of counting the cost as they take, take risks, we cripple them. They're ill-prepared for life. They become dysfunctional in relationships. They're unable to build a career or maybe even hold down a job. They're unable to build a family. God wants children to prosper. And that's why he gave them you. He wants them to prosper spiritually as well. He wants, the Lord wants us to pass on to our children spiritual wisdom. Because even if we raise our children to be business savvy and they end up becoming wealthy, they still will face death and judgment. Have you prepared them for that? We need to give them those skills. We need to love them that way. We also need to model those things for them. Have you modeled for your children the the person you hope them to be? Or... Have you lived by the model, motto, uh, do as I say, not as I do? Because that's a recipe for resentment. We need to be people of integrity. We need to be people of relational integrity. Do you keep your word? Do you keep your promises? Are you faithful? Are you loyal? And if you are, you make it easier for your children to trust your instruction, even when your instruction is stern and hard. You make it easier to ensure that things are going to go well for them. You also need spiritual integrity. Is your relationship with the Lord something discernible in your life? Or is it just Sunday morning? Or maybe even is it just something you make them do? We come every once in a while, and I make them go to Sunday school, but I'm at the coffee shop, shop, or I maybe even stay at home. Because children are going to readily see our hypocrisy. You found it easy to see the hypocrisy in your parents, didn't you? What makes you think your children won't see yours? The most profound reason the Lord gives us authority over our children is that we might figure God for them. Now, we're not God to our children, but we're like God. And our children are going to take the relationship they have with us into their relationship with their Heavenly Father. What have we taught them to expect from their Father in heaven? You know, when I think upon being a parent, I think of the countless mistakes I've made. I can think back to specific moments that I wish I could take back. Oh, the mistakes we make. Do you agree? It gives us pause when we think back on our own parents 
and we begin to better understand the hard choices that they made, uh, understanding that while we saw it very clearly when we were 15, the way they should go, it was a hazy picture for them because it's a hazy picture for us now. Trying to make the right choices, trying to do the best, and failing. But the Lord is gracious to forgive us, but also to kind of smooth over the mistakes and see that our children don't really face the full brunt of our failures. The Lord is gracious to us as parents. He's gracious to us as children. Because it, it seems like an impossible job to be an honorable parent. And sometimes it seems absolutely impossible to honor parents that we feel have failed us. But I, I want to tell you that as I focus on the ways my parents, by God's grace, sought to have things go well for me, I find it easier to obey, to fulfill the command. I'm going to show you a picture. It's a picture of me and my father. This is me uh, on the day I was going off to my sophomore year in college. And it's an important picture to me uh, right now because uh, I'm about the same age my dad was in that picture. My father was a second-generation Hungarian. Hungarians don't refer to themselves as Hungarians. They're Magyars. That's our ethnic identity. And he was the youngest of four. He grew up in a poor home. And his family, even his mother, didn't often respect the things that were his. Um, and my mother told me this story. My dad didn't tell it to me. He almost never talked about his childhood, maybe because it was just so painful. But one summer, he got a, a job to save up for a car, And he kept giving his mother the money for safekeeping. And after the summer was over, he asked for the money back. And she said, oh, I don't have it. What'd you do with it? Well, I gave it to your brother Steve so he could buy a car. And my dad didn't trust people readily. As I said, he was was trapped by his fears of, of being used by others. And sometimes that made family life hard for us. But I want to tell you this other story about my dad. When I was in college, not long after this picture was taken, my dad was diagnosed with a debilitating blood condition. And then shortly thereafter, he was diagnosed with uh, kidney cancer. And when he got that diagnosis, he, he was dog determined to beat it for his family to keep paying for the bills. And he took some time off work. And while he was taking that time off work, he realized, I'm not going to beat this. So what do you think he did? He went back to work. He went back to work so he could pay for my last year in college. He died the last week of classes that year. Less than a month shy of my graduation. My father poured out the last days of his life that things might go well for me, knowing that he would never see it. I said before, I was frustrated as a child with the name my father gave me. And, but now I love my name. Because... My father gave it to me. Honor your father and mother. 
And in so doing, you honor your heavenly Father who has given you everything. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We do pray for your spirit to be at work in our hearts and our minds. That we might be receptive to your commands at times. Lord, we look at your law and we think it is folly. By your spirit, give us the wisdom to see what it is you have for us. And by your grace, embedded deep in our souls. That we might, might be more like Jesus. Do this for us. We pray it in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.